This podcast is brought to you by Westbury Stud. Emily Bosson on the Inside Word. Well, it's that time of the year again, isn't it? Uh, Melbourne Cup is upon us. And I was racking my brains trying to think of somebody who we could reminisce with about the Melbourne Cup and, of course, with a Kiwi connection. And Mike Moroni came to mind and he very kindly agreed to join us on the show this week. Mike, thanks for being with us. Yeah, no, my, my pleasure, Emma. Take me back to that mighty day. You actually ran first and third in the race. Was it just like a, a, a dream? Yeah, well, it was something I actually dreamt about, strange enough, uh, Emily. And, and um, when I actually first had the dream, which I don't normally dream, um, I wasn't even training brew then. And um, just one of those weird dreams. I remember telling my wife, Jane, at the time, and said it would never happen because I'd never trained brew. And just circumstances ended up that we ended up buying them. So I told the owners before the first cut um, what I dreamt. And strange enough, the year... That year, he was um, carrying the black cap, which in my dream he was. And um, he, but he wasn't number twenty-four. Uh, but he was when he won the Melbourne Cup the following year. And I got the number right, the margin right, uh, the uh, black cap he had to wear right. And the only thing I had wrong was that they were going right-handed rather than left-handed. So, um, but but um, so it was something that I dreamt about, and ended up um, coming to fruition. Strange enough. That's bizarre. Have you ever had any premonitions like that before, or is that that was no, the first? I have. I, I, I dreamt that Serrera won the Caulfield Cup the year he ran it and he beat one home. So, so one out of two. <laughs> we'll stick with the 50% odds. I like it. <laughs> From a, um, obviously, you dreamt that, that you'd won it. Did that sort of, um, I don't know, dull the excitement or was it still a massive thrill on the day? Oh, look, it was a great thrill because, look, I'd only sh- just shifted to uh, Melbourne full time myself. Um, the year before in 99, just before the, the spring, um, when we got opportunity to take over the big stable, I used to be there full-time myself. So um, I've been there a short time, and um, we'd, look, we won a Victorian derby before that, the second coming. That sort of got me going in Australia. Uh, and then I needed something like this to happen, even though we had trained another couple of group one winners there. Um, during that period, I still needed uh, a horse like, like Brew to come along, um, and uh, he did. And um, yeah, I just it went from me being not that well known in Australia to being really well known. So it was a big change. Um, look, I was through winning a couple of premierships in New Zealand, well known there, but certainly not in Australia. And um, it was um, yeah, it was, it was quite uh, quite interesting. I I still remember walking down the steps and, and because I'd lived in Melbourne I knew a few people and they congratulated me on the way down. The owners were jumping over seats because we were on the top of the stand to get down to lead the horse back in and I sort of took the time getting down um, and then when I got down there there was someone from uh, I think Channel 1 in New Zealand put mm. their hand on my shoulder and more or less said you'd just train the Melbourne Cup winner and it was the first interview I did. Wow. And it sort of struck home then and um, then another guy grabbed me actually um, from the VRC, who I've got to know quite well now, and I didn't know him at the time. He just said, "Look, you've um, got a lot of TV commitments for World. Um, one of the first was Japan, mm. and they had an interpreter with me, um, and so I had to follow him round. And I didn't get to see the owners until we went out for the presentation. And I had a lot of you know, my um, aunties, uncles, mum and dad there. Mm. I never got to see them until about three hours after the races. It turned out, but." So I, from there, it was um, I was taken everywhere to do a lot of uh, interviews, um, and then got to see the 
didn't see the owners in presentation, and then we were hurried back in, both Paul and I, to a, a big um, area where they had all the press for questions and that sort of thing. So I think the first hour was quite, it seemed like it was about three hours, it was about an hour. Yeah. Uh, but but life-changing for me because um, you know, I went from standing there when, when I won the Victorian Derby, listening to the press saying, has anyone seen Mike Maroney? And one said, well, what does he look like? Oh, wow, yeah. And I stand right by them. Mm. So I went from not being known at all to everyone knowing who I was, you know. So it was a, a big um, life change for me uh, because I've been sort of in Australia living there uh, without really being under the pressures of you know, what I was under in New Zealand probably when I was, you know, well-known and, and training and win the premiership. So it, it changed quickly. And um, But look, it's just a great ride, and it's until you win that race, and you don't realise what a uh, you know what a major race it is worldwide. Mm. Um, you know, we, we I took the cup to Hong Kong because um, second coming represented New Zealand in the um, mile and a half race here, and we were invited to uh, at that stage. Um, there's a singer here called uh, Vanessa Marossi, and she had the number one hit in Australia. And um, we were both invited to a uh, pre-Christmas for all, all the people that lived in Australia. We had a pre-Christmas function. And they hired out a, a floor of um, all the big hotels. And I took the Melbourne Cup and she got up and sang. And uh, I got more of an ovation with the uh, Melbourne Cup than what she did for seeing. And she had the number one hit in Australia. So wow, so weird. surreal. And, and the, yeah. the amount of people that had stories, Emily, about their grandparents had told them about the Melbourne Cup and they weren't racing people at all, but they all had a story to tell mm. about the Melbourne Cup. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? W- what about the horse himself? Was it a, a smooth preparation? Were you confident? What What was the general build-up like? Yeah, look, when we first got him, we, we had to geld him. He was, uh, that's the reason why he was getting sold, is that um, Graham uh, Bridget didn't want to geld him. Mm. And he badly needed gelding. So we did that. And he still thought he was a cult for a couple of years. He was, it wasn't easy going. Mm. Uh, I'd say there wasn't one staff member that um, worked for me riding work that he hadn't dropped. He dropped everyone. Wow. Um, he was just so quick at spinning around. And, but the year that he won the Melbourne Cup, he, it was like he'd grown up. Um, he was a six-year-old. He had been through uh, a fair bit of travelling. I think up there for the Brisbane Cup the year before. Um, he had uh, done a bit of racing and he was slowly coming right. Mm. But that six-year-old year, he was just a totally different horse. He was a big, powerful a fully grown horse by then, and when you were clocking him on the track, he could, you know, he, he looked very ordinary when he's running up to the last 637. Mm. Uh, but what that year, he could run 34 at the end of um, working over ground on his ear. He just changed, and I think they, he, he clocked one of the fastest sections in the Melbourne Cup history. Yeah. Uh, the last 600 um, at the end of two miles. So that was what he was like. He'd just come of age. Um, and came of age brain-wise, too. Mm. Uh, like, he was one that you'd worry about. And I remember seeing him after he won the Melbourne Cup and we had a bit of a function at the stables. And there were kids in his box. And I was going, you know, and, and the, <laughs> I, I walked in the crib trying to grab him because and he was quite happy to, to have him around him, you know, which he wouldn't have been. Uh, you wouldn't have trusted him at all with anybody, um, uh, you know, as a, as a younger horse or that. But he had just come of age and it was as if he knew he'd won the Cup, too. Yeah. Um, I got photos taken outside the uh, race, uh, outside our stables, which backs onto the race course. And he's there by himself, 
just stood there and posed for the cameras. Well, he wouldn't have done that without a mate or, or and still would have been um, complete uh, idiot to deal with too. But he just like he knew he'd won the race and had come of age. Yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? And um, he was obviously a patient man's horse. Was there ever sort of a time when he thought, oh, it's not worth it or he must have just shown you enough to, to keep you sort of keen? Yeah, look, he was always had uh, um, the lung capacity uh, and that to make into a good stayer. And look, as I said, when he won the Melbourne Cup, he was he was bred to win a Melbourne Cup. And he won a Melbourne Cup. You know, he's a Sir Tristram at a Horlick, so mm. you know, she held the world record for mile and a half on turf for a while in the Japan Cup. And it was such a good stout New Zealand family through the back with Prop um, winning an Orphan Cup. I think she did as a as a young mare. Mm. So really. Uh, true staying family and that's what he's bred to do and he eventually did it and uh, yeah I think as a younger age at times you would think you know is he ever going to get strong enough to do this and it was just a matter of time and he did and uh, I had a good patient bunch of owners that were willing to um, to uh, stick by him even though it was disappointing I remember him just cantering past something one day at Mooney Valley mm. and it was under the stick and he just cantered past and it got back and beat him Wow, yeah. And Greg Charles rode him, and Greg just got off him, and he just threw his hands in, and he said to me, well, just get someone else to ride him, Mike. He said, I just can't get this horse to win. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I always have Greg on about that, because um, the time he said that, the horse never stopped winning. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> it must have heard him. He, yeah, he must have heard him. And uh, I put an apprentice on next up, which ended up to be a guy called Kay McAvoy. Oh, wow. Well, I was a, a, a apprentice, and um, he claimed more for them one. Um, and then Steve Arnold won on him. Then we put him put him out, mm. and he came back the following season. Did what he did. So um, it, it was timely that, that Kieran did ride him because that was the difference between him um, riding him and not riding him in the Melbourne Cup, basically, because we had a decision to make, and it was really left to me. And I know Paul didn't want Kieran on. Yeah. Um, and I talked him around and, and and put Kieran on. You know, so it worked out well for Kieran, and of course that that really. Um, sort of got his career really going um, very well in the Melbourne Cup. Yeah. Um, I was just looking at his form. It, it's correct that he backed up from Saturday. Is that right into the Melbourne Cup from the Dar- from Derby Day? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, look, he did both years he ran in the Cup. Um, first year, um, I thought that he had to to make the Cup, so I ran him and he was a disappointing favourite. Mm. And we paid up for him and, he, and with attrition, he ended up making the race. Okay. And he ran 10th and a pretty rough run of fear, Lance O'Sullivan rode him, and it was a really rough race, and he had skin of all from four legs up the cup. Mm. Um, and we had, we had him on um, Butte for, I'd say, a month, trying to get his legs back down. It was such a rough run race. Um, and Lance said that he, at one stage, he said he, didn't get his, uh, he, said he was more being carried between two horses. Yeah, really. Without his feet on the ground, you know, yeah. so it was that rough. Um and, um, you know, that was a, and he still went really well. And that was the first sign that I had the right horse. I could just get him stronger. And, and he had got stronger. So I knew that I had the right horse. So, mm. um, and then in the second coming, he was the other one. And I, I do feel that the second coming was fit. He might have beaten him. Okay. Um, but second coming had missed a lot of work with the Stonebrews. And we had him down at St. Kilda Beach mm. trying to keep him going. And, um, it only burst on the Saturday, and we hopped on his back, and I took him straight to Werribee and galloped him. Yeah. Right the Werribee track up for me, and I took his back on track down with him, and we gave him a nice gallop 
uh, but he had missed a lot of work. And yeah. uh, hence he over-aced and arrived in front too soon and, and just over-aced. But he, you know, I think if I'd had him fit, he might have beaten Brew. Well, we were giving him a run for his money, put it that way. Um, Could have run the Quinella. But, um, <laughs> yeah, well, I thought I was going to have it down the straight for a while. And then, but I knew I knew what the, what work um, second coming had done and how hard he'd pulled during the running. Mm. Um, and he'd, he'd had to cover ground. He'd arrived there too soon. I was reminiscent of watching Kingston Town. He, he got there too soon. Mm. It was it was second coming, and I knew that Drew had been on his back in a pretty pretty soft trip, and, and he was always going to run past him. And, and but but second coming, but his hardy hung on for third. So yeah, to his credit as well. Is there um, a comparison between Excellent, who obviously raced in the Melbourne Cup as well, and Place? Would you be able to compare the horses? Oh, they're chalk and cheese, really. One was just a really good stay, and one was just an outstanding horse. Mm. Um, uh, one, you know, like Drew could the one over 40 meter away for Asia on 120 and a half, uh, and excellent could. Yeah. And then he was good enough to stay uh, the, the, the 3,200 metres on hook of really limited preparation. Mm. Um, completely opposite to what we had done with Brew, getting him hard and fit, and he could cope with it, whereas Exit was still getting mature, yep. and we lost him, but. Um, no, 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 they were links apart. Exit was links and links better. Yeah. Would the Melbourne Cup be your greatest thrill on a racetrack? Yeah, yeah, that and probably strange enough, the other one was the Great Wilderness Steeple Chase. Okay, wow. Um, which I won at a very young age. Um, with a horse called Tumlin Down. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was at my at that time of my career. Um, you know, to, to sort of be clashing with uh, Kenny Brown when he had his jumpers at their best and, mm. and the race was run in June, early June, in those days, and to get them fit uh, to run that uh, that sort of trip uh, when you're training off a conventional track as opposed to a farm yeah, um, was a big thrill for me at the time, you know, and uh, I suppose I, I hadn't been training that long. Um, that is something that's always used to my memory as well. And I know it's a strange race to say that about, but um, certainly there's a Melbourne Cup, but you know, the other 51 group one races of one, um, they probably would run behind the Great Wilderness Steel Chase, strangely enough. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I know for a lot of people who haven't won the Melbourne Cup, they um, spend their lives trying to find that horse uh, that's going to win it. Aidan O'Brien comes back year after year to be able to say he's won a Melbourne Cup. You've done it, but now is it a case of looking for that next horse t- to do it for you? Yeah, look, we're always trying. Um, always trying. It'll be great to have that feeling again. Uh, I think I've had something like 24 runners in Melbourne Cups now. Wow. And I think um, before Brew won, I think we'd already had, my first one was a horse called Selwyn's Mate. Mm-hmm. And then I had Tiakau Pearl. Uh, and then we had the three, the same three around the Melbourne Cup the year Brew won. They ran the year before. So that was uh, five, seven, eight. And so it was about my eighth runner before I won. I mean, I, I remember since then, Emily, I would have had another 15 to 16 runners. Yeah. Um, and we've had a third with excellent, a fifth with May the Horse Be With You. He was mm-hmm. pretty unlucky. A lot of them have won stake money. They pay back the 10th. Mm. Um, so a lot of them have earned stake money. But, you know, one year I had Esquire Queen Serrera in it. Uh, Maripool had two runs in it. Sounds had two runs in it now. Um, 
Ponzu Maskers had a run on, run on it, and they all got money um, yep. for running. But um, the closest I've been since then has been third with Excellent. Fast forward to now. Uh, how many horses have you got in work at the moment? We're working 60 a year, mm-hmm. um, which is capacity. Um, I don't get as many pre-trained and, and don't have as many properties as as opposed to a lot of the other trainers. A lot of them are bigger ones that sort of got 150, 200, 300 work. Mm. And they, they spread amongst different properties. And I, I just got the one. We sort of um, have got a small pre-training place that we do a little bit of light work with them. Yep. And we change and it's close to a beach and we'll use that. And we'll, um, I, I sit in there for a, bit of dre- a lot of dressage actually. Okay. Um, a really good girl there that does that. And, um, that's how we keep Chapada up and Miramar and quite a few of the stayers up this year mm. by doing a little bit of change doing that. So, um, yeah, look, we, we, I'm, I'm happy with the number we got. Um, it's just trying to get the quality all the time. And I, I suppose really it's a, it's a bit of a catch do situation where you, you've got to be big enough to say that you can put those horses through and find them. Yeah. Um, and that we may not quite be big enough here to do that. We haven't. I've never really tried to chase a premiership here or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but look, we've got a nice team of work. We're going to have runners throughout the carnival. Um, you know, we, we trained a couple of group one winners last season and um, won six million in prize money. So mm. the money's here. Yep. It's, it's amazing the money. Like, I think I've trained 11 winners this season, only two in town. And we've won uh, 1.6 million already. Wow! You know, so just unbel- when you think of the just, here in New Zealand, yeah. it's just hard to even imagine. <laughs> yeah, it is. we're lucky to be here. Um, I made the move at the time, and it's not easy. Mm. Um, it's not a pure tried and failed, and it's just a matter of um, uh, I've, you know, I've been lucky enough that I've uh, gained and earned the respect of the Australians, and. Um, even though, you know, when the All Blacks play, I'm still get reminded. <laughs> um, and I'll still always be a Kiwi. I always say to people, there's only two sorts of people in the world, Kiwis and those wannabe. <laughs> uh, doesn't go down with the Aussies too good times. But, um, look, I, I've enjoyed, enjoyed them, and, and I've, been, I've been lucky enough that I've accepted the and, and that, and um, no, it's worked out really well. Must be tough at the moment. Uh, you can't get back to New Zealand. You've obviously still got a stable here. You've got grandkids here. That must be uh, yeah. pretty frustrating. Very frustrating. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, no, it's very hard. And um, yeah, I just hope we can clear by Christmas time. We're mm. in the what they call the danger zone, I suppose, Victoria. Um, it'll probably be the last one to get clearance. But, yeah. Uh, look, it, it, look, they're getting only one or two cases a day at the most, and few days was zero, so I think they've got it pretty well under control, but in saying that, I think that they're still going to be pretty weary um, mm. because of the fact that we did have that second um, you know, that relapse, so yep. it's really going to be um, you know, I suppose they do know best, but I know people are getting pretty frustrated here about the, the lockdown situation that we're still in, considering you know, how many few, how fewer numbers we've had for a while. Yeah. Um, if there was a race that you'd still like to win that's on the bucket list, or maybe not a race, but just a goal that you've still got in your career, what, what would it be? I actually love to win a Cox Plate now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I've had runners, but not many. Um, we, we've just bought a couple of horses in Europe, and I'm, I'm hoping that um, one of those might be the right one. Um, well, three there over, overnight, actually, over the last two nights. Yep. And just hoping that the, one of those might be the one. Um, we've got um, 
a nice young bunch of horses here, so uh, we turn a lot over and we try and keep a, a team flying through to find those sort of uh, quality horses. So hopefully there'll be one there because um, mm. it would be a race I'd love to win. Uh, would, would be a race like that. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Mike. It's been great to reminisce about the Melbourne Cup. And before we let you go, have you got a winner for us in the Melbourne Cup? I actually, strangely enough... Um, Don't tell me you had a dream. Uh, no, I haven't had a dream. I've just been following a horse, and I think he's the right horse. I think it's quite a strong race this year, but the more I look into it, um, uh, the more I think that there's only a handful that'll get the two miles of a strongly run. Yep. And... Um, I think Finch, strangely enough. Oh, okay, yeah. I watched him, and, and I had Chapato, and Chapato was tracking him the other day at the Caulfield Cup, and Chapato ran past him going easily, and he was under pressure. So mm. he kicked back and beat him. Um, and even though he, he, he might be well hidden, I, I've got a funny feeling that he is the two-miler. Yep. Uh, and the race is well-weighted, and uh, I know he'd be at reasonable odds, but if I was going to throw in one that I was pretty sure would get two miles, if it's truly an run, yep. um, it would be him. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that and, and for the chat. And, yeah, hopefully we see you raising that Melbourne Cup in the future or Cox Plate, actually, probably more fitting the Cox Plate in the future. Okay, thanks, Evelyn. This podcast is brought to you by Westbury Stud. Emily Bosson on the Inside Word.